Hello and welcome back to the Pave the Way podcast, a joint initiative with Ragiri Foundation and the National Institute of Urban Affairs, where I, your host Akash Basu, speak with mobility experts and people with interesting ideas around the globe on all kinds of issues and ideas surrounding sustainable mobility and transport planning. On the podcast today, we have co-founder of Wheeling Happiness, Devika Malik. Uh, Wheeling Happiness is an NGO whose mission is to create an inclusive and barrier-free society and to empower people with disabilities, uh, women, and economically underserved communities. The foundation provides a helping hand uh, to the differently abled who are in need of physical, mental, financial, and emotional support. I'll also try and do my best to introduce Devika, though I'm not sure I'll be able to do her much justice. Uh, Devika was born with uh, hemiplegia, which causes paralysis to one side of the body. She's overcome the challenges of the disability to become an international para-athlete with eight national and three international medals at the World Para-Athletics Grand Prix competitions. She's a psychological counselor and an international disability inclusion advocate and even a TEDx speaker. Oh, and she's also a social entrepreneur and the co-founder of the aforementioned Wheeling Happiness Foundation. Today, we'll be discussing issues around disability due to road safety issues, uh, the numbers, the causes, and the solutions, both to reduce the numbers that are injured and how to handle post-crash care. I'm honored with this opportunity to speak with you. How are you, Devika? I'm good. I'm good. It's really nice to uh, hear this introduction coming from someone else. It makes you reflect on the journey. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I, I was going through uh, how many things I could possibly say to <laughs> during your intro. And there was just lots and lots of accomplishments. So I picked a few of them. Thank um, you so much. Of course. Um, why don't we start by you telling us a little more about yourself and the work that Wheeling Happiness does? Yeah, absolutely. So the thing with Wheeling Happiness Foundation is that it's not something that is external to me. It's very much a part of who I am and my identity as a disabled person. Uh, for a very long time, when I was uh, younger and I was going through my own occupational therapy because I have hemiplegia. So, of course, I've had that experience as a very young child of undergoing physiotherapy, occupational therapy. And uh, when my friends are out playing, I'm I'm undergoing therapy. Sometimes it used to be uh, very disappointing for me because it used to be very painful as well. So uh, then my mother had to kind of, you know, come up with creative ways to engage me in that because I needed that treatment. Uh, but moreover, uh, being in that situation as a young person and uh, realizing even at the tender age of six or seven that you are different and what how other people perceive you because your peers are not seeing other people like you in in a school of thousands of children, there's maybe one other child like me who's a senior who I have never come across. So definitely my classroom of first graders has not come across someone else like me. So sometimes they would make fun of me. And also we were switching schools every two years because of my father uh, being an army man. So 
I used to go home crying sometimes and my parents used to tell me that like we can fight this battle for you. We can come to your school. We can talk to your teachers and your uh, friends. But how often do you want us to do that? You need to stand up for yourself. And so at a very young age in advertently, I became a self-advocate. I started explaining to six-year-old children that I walk differently or I seem different because of a medical condition. And there are other skills that I have which uh, you know make me more a part of them. So I started engaging a lot with uh, debates, morning assemblies. When I was a third grader, I was the youngest debater in my school. So that was something which my mother uh, kind of understood that if I assimilate, I will not have self-esteem and confidence issues in life. Because when you look different, when people point out that there's something different about you, you tend to make yourself smaller, tend to hide yourself away. Uh, but fortunately for me, from a very young age, I was engaged in public speaking because that was one of the ways that my mother articulated for me to kind of keep up my self-esteem and self-confidence. And today, uh, decades later, that is helping me, that skill is helping me to be an advocate for people with disabilities, uh, use my voice where a lot of people like me, especially from the financially underserved sections of society in this country, don't have that voice. They don't get to exercise that agency. So if we can do that on their behalf, or more importantly, uh, enable them to speak up for themselves. But for that, I need to have this voice that I have today, that I have used on international platforms, whether it's the United Nations, whether it's the Commonwealth Secretary, to tell those world leaders that whenever you make any plans, whenever you execute any policies, don't leave people with disabilities behind because we are the largest minority of the world. We are 15% of the world's population. And disability is dynamic. It can, you can encounter it at any moment in your life. So it's not like we are a separate section of people who are disabled and the non-disabled people will never experience that in their lives. That's not the case. So making people understand that disability is a part of life, whether through an accident, whether through aging, everyone's going to encounter some form of disability for themselves or to their loved ones. And so universal design is in the best interest of all of us. Understanding all of this, advocating for all of this, uh, that's how Wheeling Happiness Foundation came about because uh, when I was younger, and again, my mother was paralyzed below chest level when I was eight years old, and she's been a wheelchair user for over two decades now. So when I was younger, I used to see that other women with similar conditions used to come and live in our house just to learn and observe from my mother how she is managing her life and being so active in spite of being a wheelchair user. So a lot of people were curious that you're able to do so much in spite of being on a wheelchair and I, I'm in a similar condition, but I don't have so much mobility and independence. So ladies used to come and live in our house and just observe my mother's lifestyle and like go back with that knowledge. So that's when I told my mom that if we're already doing this at an individual level, if we formulate this into an organization, we'll be able to reach out to a larger audience and help a larger number of beneficiaries and that's that's been the journey of Eden Happiness. I've always noticed that some of the best organizations are more like 
organizations that make a difference are often done by people who have also been through the experience and i think it's quite amazing that you were able to use this experience especially being bullied at a young age to turn it into this organization where you now help people and you don't want everyone to have the same experience and you want to educate the world on the fact that you know disability inclusion is universal inclusion and yeah i just think it's a it's a really great message and I've read about the great work that Wheeling Happiness does. Yeah, because also I feel like uh, when we talked about bullying, to a large extent, even they are five-year-old kids, it's not their fault. It's just something they've not seen in their environment. And I think that is where the the issue of accessibility or barriers comes in, even social barriers, but even physical barriers. Because if there is a child on a wheelchair, even though it is illegal to deny that child admission, knowing that your school is not designed to offer access to that child that child is missing out on like being more than education because now i feel education uh, you can find it so much online the basic learning but schools are more about social integration so a child on a wheelchair is missing out on that integration and more importantly those other non disabled kids are missing out on experiencing that integration if it's something they have never seen in their environment how are they going to wrap their minds around it mm-hmm. and it's not like disabled people don't exist just because you don't see them out and about as much it's because uh the constructed infrastructure is not friendly enough for them to be out and about all the time so we always talk about this like a chicken and egg thing of whether i am going to go outside first or i'm going to wait for the infrastructure to be accessible enough for me to get outside like my mother used to uh, compete in disability sports so she had to go to the gym all the time and she started going to this one gym every day they did not have a ramp access so every day she would go there she would call four of the trainers out and make them lift her wheelchair and take the, take her inside so by the 10th day they themselves were so embarrassed by the whole process that they constructed a ramp but what that means is that now more people like her who wouldn't have had the audacity that she had to you know tell them to come and do their good deed for the day by lifting her and taking her inside now those people because they have that constructed infrastructure they can also come out and follow in her lead and just live a fitter life because irrespective of your uh, disability if you have a certain passion or you want to exercise for fitness you should have that access so i think yeah I, one of the things you had said was uh, you know we're not invisible like disabled people are not invisible they do exist but i can also say generally gym is one example but you know there really won't be resources or infrastructure generally set up for disabled persons in any given environment you know you have to sometimes work to set that up and it is important that you and your mother and just the organization are you know doing this work is there a reason it's called wheeling happiness yeah so the wheeling comes from the wheelchair mm. so right uh, and happiness because like that's something my mom says very often uh that the only thing that i suffer from is contagious happiness so <laughs> we just like put that all together and it's called wheeling happiness and also because you know mobility is something which kind of 
it does real happiness into your life so sometimes we encounter people when we go to the villages to do our workshops we have encountered people who have been homebound for over a decade just because they cannot afford a wheelchair that costs anywhere between 7000 to like lakhs of rupees there is mm. no end to that but a basic wheelchair that you can basic active wheelchair that you can provide to a person can come in at around 12 to 15000 rupees conveniently but people can't even afford that so when you when you bring those wheels into their lives after decades of just sitting at home that is happiness because they get to experience the outside world again they get to like go out and interact with people and just be one with the world rather than lying on their bed and staring at the ceiling how long can a person live like that you know um before my next question let me put some scary statistics out there uh in the last decade we have lost 1.3 million indian lives on our roads with i think over 5 million people injured india also tops the world every single year with road crashes with i think 400 plus fatalities a day uh statistics tell us that most people who face a disability if it was not a condition at birth or some sort of human or natural condition that came later in life it was due to road related incidents almost 100% of the time uh even with para athletes and you of course must know more about this but a majority of injured athletes and the reasons for para athletes in general are road accidents uh could you elaborate a little more on the issue and also why this issue is not given more resources or attention you're absolutely right i think also part of that statistic is the fact that um it says that we own 1% of the world's cars but we amount to 10% of the world's road mm-hmm. deaths 11% and uh, again you are absolutely right that so many of the para athletes are actually uh, disabled due to road accidents that they have encountered in their lives in fact a lot of our beneficiaries fall into uh, that category of disability as well so largely in india i think it would either be polio or then otherwise uh, road accidents Wow. but uh, i mean it's it's a shame but also we are looking at a sub category within that idea of road safety and fatalities which is disability but i think road safety uh, as a whole has been an issue which has been acknowledged uh, by many organizations and government entities organizations as uh, such as ragiri as well that are doing wonderful work in this regard but i think it's it's a combination of so many factors when you talk about roads and even potholes on the roads like this the so many government entities have to be involved and it just goes so far it is such a rabbit hole so i like to focus more on what we as citizens can do you know uh, sometimes we have to exercise our political power as well we have to reach out to the people in charge if there is a municipal corporation in your area and you feel like there are too many potholes within a 5 uh, 500 meter or 1 kilometer radius from your house uh, sometimes we have to take that active act of citizenship and like approach those officials and ensure that some improvements are made in that direction and even as citizens we have to be conscious of pedestrian safety you have to be conscious of if you are in a car you have to be conscious of people on two wheelers people on bicycles because fact is that those are the people 
who suffer more statistically speaking those are the people who suffer more in terms of these road accidents and the resulting fatalities or disabilities uh it is again a research fact that the economic burden of road accidents is greater on uh poorer households lower middle and uh, even below that though that class of people is more intensely affected by these road crashes because uh it's it's a very logical thing if somebody is on a scooter carrying four of their family members on that two wheeler so they already to begin with come from a financial situation where they cannot afford a four wheeler that is why they are carrying a family of four on that two wheeler right and then they encounter an accident or uh, many a times losing one of the members maybe an earning member so it just keeps building up from there and uh, again this is something where i think numbers we kind of become numb to numbers sometimes because uh, people die every day and it's in the news every day and now with covid as well uh, we've just been surrounded with so much death and morosity that maybe we just don't want to think about it uh, unless it's hitting close to home you know it's just sometimes for the sake of your own mental health you tune it out and numbers don't mean that much to people on a day to day basis but when you think about it in anecdotal terms like i can tell you about one of the girls that we work with through my foundation uh, we have been educating her and her sister for the last 3 years they are now in their final year of college um this girl when she was only 8 months old the entire family the father the mother and both the sisters were traveling on a two wheeler and they had an accident and the father they lost the father on the spot the mother uh, injured profusely injured her right arm and she was a government school primary primary level teacher so she kind of had to relearn writing and everything with her left hand because now that was the only job she had to provide for the rest of the family one of the sisters came out safe the younger sister who was 8 months old at the time she lost one of her legs and also became paralyzed waist down so the other leg also does not function now she she has an amputated child at home with the leg amputated she has to take care of her own right arm injury and then one more daughter to care for and the government school primary primary level teacher's salary and this is the situation in which she brought up these little girls and up till fifth standard because she used to take her child to the same school where she used to teach that child got an education but after sixth standard onwards the schools refused because it's a small village they refused to take responsibility for her because they said uh ek class se dusri class mein kaun leke jayega usko like you know how are we going to manage this wheelchair in the classrooms our our school is not designed for this so that girl because her elder sister was only a year older than her she has been studying from her books throughout these years and then she gave her 10th boards through open schooling because she had a passion for education so once she gave her 10th boards through open schooling that's when that family reached out to us and they said we've come this far and i want to study further so that's when i then uh, gave her a tutor who would go to her home every day and tutor her and that's how she cleared her 12th boards again from open schooling provided her with a wheelchair a, a good quality wheelchair and all the other first aid materials that she needs 
in her day-to-day life. And then when she cleared those 12 boards as well, and it came time for college, I said, you know, why don't you go out there and give all the entrance exams that you can? So again, we facilitated her travel from city to city to go and give all the entrance exams in all the universities. And she made it through one of them. She made it through one of the government universities. But again, it was made very clear to her that uh, we cannot guarantee that your class will not take place on the second floor or the third floor. And we don't know how to get you there. And also the hostel is not accessible. And if a government institution had provided that accessibility to them, they would have been able to afford, like avail an affordable education. But because she was putting in that effort and I saw her passion, um, through my foundation, we uh, got them admission in a private university, which, which is wheelchair accessible, including their hostel accommodation. So both of these girls, because the elder sister who is non-disabled is also uh, the one who takes care of her daily needs. So both of the sisters, we got them admission together in this private university. One of them is studying commerce. One of them is studying photojournalism. They're both almost at the end of their courses now. Uh, one of them has got placed as well. So it is due to sheer grit and education is one part of it. But again, I say that imagine since she was a sixth grader, she didn't have a social circle because she didn't get to go to school. So just, you know, the fact that uh, looking at her Instagram account, uh, looking at her enjoying the college fests, making friends, just hanging out with friends. Those are the things that I am proud of because education, anyway, she was getting it from distance education. She could have continued to do that until master's or whatever level she wants to study. But uh, having that opportunity to assimilate with your age mates and the social skills that that gives you, that is quite unparalleled. But this is, this is the life journey that this person has had due to a road accident. So this is how life-changing road accidents are and this is why we need to take road safety seriously it's amazing uh what you were able to do for this family and i'm sure you've had many sorts of similar cases um with just the sheer amount of our lower socioeconomic class that has to go through these sort of accidents i think we had also talked about before just given the sheer number you must and your organization um you must be always over capacity. It must be difficult to maintain this. I mean, is it that there are many organizations that do similar work? Um, how do we address the, the problem of the, just the sheer number of people from poor households who have faced these accidents and need help? See, there are definitely multiple organizations in this space. There are multiple disabled people's organizations. Uh, taking different approaches and working for people with disabilities in, in, in different parts of the country. Uh, but it's, it's never enough, right? Because this is something that we as civil society are putting in, but there also has to be more done in terms of what are the policies in place? What are the laws in place? Which also on paper, there are some brilliant policies that exist for people with disabilities. There are laws made that give us uh, access, that give us uh, pensions, that give us reservations, uh, discounts on all the various things. 
but implementation is again something where i feel like we as civil society have to pitch in my organization uh, we did a year long project where we went from village to village and explained to people that they have certain um, you know like they have a disability pension that is accessible to them they have, and then explain to them what is the paperwork that they need to do to access this facility because so many times there are brilliant policies on paper but they don't trickle down to the people who need them because they don't have that information or that awareness uh, also every organization that's working in this space they're all working with their own mandates so if somebody gives me a call that they need uh, finances for their medical treatment or they need a wheelchair if i as an organization i'm not in that particular space if that is not the mandate that i have made for myself um i may not be able to help them but that is where i feel like i have kept a certain uniqueness to the nature of my organization the idea is to enable people with disabilities in whatever form that they need that enablement and that empowerment it's not up to me tell them that okay i only want you to make candles or i only want you to make soap and sell it i want you to do what you believe you are capable of doing so we even have kids uh, who are very curious about fashion they are engaging uh, we're trying to engage them with that we have like i uh, gave you an example a lot of uh, children who want to pursue further education and we have a majority of people who want to explore sports so we try to support them in whatever field they want to explore that's the idea but coming back to um you know this whole idea of the sheer uh, just velocity of the number of road accidents and like how it is changing lives uh i think it goes both ways right like one is that we need to have better roads to start with and but also people need to be more aware people need to be more uh, conscientious when they are following traffic rules especially as a pedestrian like so many times when i'm crossing roads it is so stressful because one there is no pedestrian crossing for kilometers sometimes so people of course people are not going to walk for 5 kilometers just to be able to cross the road so some a lot of times that is the reason that they are crossing through running traffic and that is something which can be changed by just having better systems on the road but as a as a user of a vehicle as a user of whether it's a two wheeler four wheeler there are so many things that people, they tell you in public announcements every day wear seat belts wear helmets uh stop at the light and when when you are on the road travel in your own lane we don't do that a lot of us don't do that a lot of the time because uh there are there are other countries other metropolitans where the traffic situation is as bad as it might be in delhi or mumbai but even then they're able to keep the traffic moving because simply because people stay in their lane that is just something which is not in our nature as people so it's not just about laws and policies i think it's also a lot to do with um, our nature and our habits on the road as citizens yeah i think 
you bring up an important point which is we often talk about road safety policies and how we need the bureaucracy and the higher ups to change these but one thing we don't talk about much is behavior of individuals especially things like driver behavior i mean it's a saying i've been told you know if you learn how to drive in india you can drive anywhere in the world just because it's so unsafe you know on the roads you you never know who's going to be coming wrong side you never know which guy is going to you know skip a red light and speed right past you we do need to change driver behavior i mean i think it was 2020 where the largest amount of road accidents came from wrong side driving and drunk driving and these are of course i mean there are laws in place that make sure these don't happen but we just can't change the behavior and i think it becomes a case of everyone else is doing it you know mm-hmm. tragedy so i personally have been a victim of wrong side driving mm-hmm. uh because a guy came uh, on, on on a motorbike from a from the wrong side b on to the footpath my god so i i am walking on the footpath and to a certain extent my uh i think my fault in that was that i had been walking for about an hour by that point and because i was tired i was probably a little zoned out but also i felt safe because i was walking on a footpath so i guess i wasn't paying much attention but the next thing i know the next thing i remember is the tire of a bike in front of my eyes and then that's it then i woke up on the other side of that two lane road Oh and the last God. visual i have is of a bike tire coming at me fortunately i wasn't uh, gravely injured in that accident but it definitely gave me almost a phobia of crossing roads for the next two years thereafter like i could not cross a, a, a running road unless somebody was with me helping me cross uh so this person probably just decided that they were going to ride on the footpath because they're going to cut through traffic that way Mm-hmm. you know but it could have been it could have been anything like my back was stiff for a few days so i went in for a few x rays because i was like maybe i have you know injured a disc or something fortunately i recovered and there was nothing major that came from that accident in terms of injury uh but uh, yeah this kind of thing happens all the time yeah I mean I think it comes from this idea it comes from both people and from the top up it's that we are everything is designed to get from a to b as fast as possible and that's what everyone wants right people individual behavior is that yeah if you if there's a if there's a route to go somewhere but there's a long u turn far away you're just not you're just going to take it wrong side and you'll know that other people are doing it too whereas also top yes. down we are seeing more and more roads built we are seeing more and more underpasses built we are seeing more that we want high speed vehicles to be able to get from a to b as fast as possible but really no infrastructure set up for pedestrians and cyclists to be able to cross or share the roads with these people i live on golf course road which is now two six lane highways two two six lane roadways on either side of the road and there are families that need to cross that road every day and it's 80 100 kilometers per hour cars going constantly and you see them i mean i've had to cross that road before it's it feels like you are you are just running the risk of getting hit every, every time, single time every time. yes 
and imagine in these situations a pedestrian who is using a walking cane or a pedestrian who is on a wheelchair it's unimaginable they've they've made low floor buses but what are the situations on those bus stops are there actually the bus is a low floor bus but are there ramps on those bus stops the sheer amount of crowding that we have on those bus stops the amount of time that the bus is able to stop for due to the ongoing traffic is it actually uh, feasible for a person on a wheelchair to board that bus from that bus stop mm. is it actually feasible for a person on a wheelchair uh, or a visually impaired person to feel any sense of safety when they are crossing the road as a pedestrian i mean these are things that you would just shudder to even think of seriously You're right uh just one thing that i want to come back to which is uh, i read on your um on the wheeling happiness page and you had also talked about it on the transformative power of sport and it said that you had helped over 50 people with disabilities become sports persons so i'd love for you to elaborate on that as well yeah so even currently during covid times i had a young lady reach out to me uh with again a very inspiring Uh, background she's grown up in an orphanage she uh, she had polio so she was surrendered to the orphanage by her biological parents she grew up in that orphanage and they uh, the orphanage themselves like got her married to another individual with polio which luckily she found a supportive husband in that man and they both uh, now even though she's young she is only around 28 years old she has two young kids uh both the husband and wife have polio and the husband rides an auto rickshaw and that is their primary source of income so the reason why she reached out to me during covid was because as you know that uh autos especially like auto rickshaw drivers they had nothing to do for a long time just like a lot of the daily wagers so their income stopped and she said now i am in a situation where i want to do para power lifting i'm passionate about it my husband is supporting me but the amount of money we have now i can either continue to pay school fees for my two boys or i can use it for my nutrition and training and sports activity mm. so i have to give up sports so then i told her you don't do that whatever you need as as a sports person as an aspiring sports person i will provide for you uh, whatever money you have you use it for your kids and your household so for continuously for a year uh, we supported her uh, through the foundation and uh, then the next nationals that took place after that she won a gold medal there and just as recently as december she has been able to uh, go out of the country and participate in her first international tournament and hopefully if everything goes well uh, she might be able to represent the country in upcoming asian games or other uh you know high level international competitions wow so definitely and imagine like that kind of empowerment that she feels now she she says it to me so many times she said like you know i have grown up in an orphanage so i am somebody who's very i'm i'm i get along with everyone very easily because that was my survival to get along with as many people as i could but the people who were actually my family my relatives uh who knew that like who my biological parents are those people have always shied away from me because i have this disability and you know there are still certain 
stigmas that are associated with disability in our society that it's a curse it's because you might have done something bad in your previous birth all kind of things uh, so she said those same people who kind of stayed away from me my whole life now they want to i have won national medals so now they want to meet me they want to talk to me the school where i was educated now they invite me to speak to their students because that school is also run by the orphanage so all the kids there um, don't really have a very solid family foundation so they invited her back to show those kids that irrespective of your situation right now you can make something of yourself and she has become that example in her community and she's got all of that through sport yeah i think i'm sure you get this a lot but you really do do amazing work yeah but also i think i uh, i'm constantly amazed and constantly inspired by the stories of these people uh, who we have the opportunity to assist in furthering their dreams and 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 their passions so uh, of course like there's so many helping hands available but there's definitely got to be some um, internal will power and something internally driving you for you to even uh, get out there and seek that help so um when you use sports uh, the transformative power of sports i'm guessing it's not always with people who were former sports persons or even had an interest in sport or i mean has it ever been that it's just somebody with a disability where just the empowerment you get with the ability to play sports is it part is it along the lines of you know if, even with a disability you can do anything you want yeah definitely you see recreational sport for people with disabilities is still uh, in a very nascent phase in this country mm-hmm. but uh, when we talk about people with disability wanting to pursue sport it's often because they find out from somebody else in their own community or they've seen or they've read about you know someone like my mother who became a paralympic medalist at the age of 46 years and they they've read about it somewhere in some newspaper and it just uh, kind of clicks with them that maybe this is something that i can do for myself because there are also financial incentives associated with sport there are also of course that sense of you know if i win a medal then i will amount to something because unfortunately so many people with disabilities are made to feel like they're not worth anything because they're made to feel like liabilities on their caregivers which to a certain extent is also because they're already so hard pressed financially mm-hmm. a majority of the people with disabilities in our country live in rural areas and are financially underserved so when that burden um, it, it's not the right word to use but when they feel that burden financial added financial burden of taking care of another member of the household with a disability that person then feels that i need to do something to prove myself to prove my own agency my own independence and for me to be recognized for something other than my disability and i think sport gives them all of that it gives you that platform to experience that sense of agency to feel some pride uh, to have other people feel proud of you and often in states where the policies are good also becomes a means of financial empowerment once you achieve a certain level of success in sport i mean that's that's amazing it's must i mean it must be 
just so empowering to these people must be life changing and and just all these case studies and these examples you provided i'm sure you have so many more but it's it's inspiring to anyone to listen to you know stories like this i think just before we we wrap up um the name of the podcast is the pave the way podcast so if you could let's say what we could realistically achieve in something like reducing the numbers uh, making our roads better getting post crash care um have it better for people especially for people in you know the lower socio economic class how do we pave the forward realistically in the coming years i think we have to approach it from a citizen first mindset rather than trying to approach it from what uh the government can do better or what policy makers can do better of course there are organizations out there which are reaching out directly to policy makers and supporting them in making the right kind of decisions around these matters but people listening to this as individual citizens i think what we need to do is firstly be uh, more mindful be more reflective in terms of how are we using our roads as as people how are, are we doing the right thing are we following all the right all the rules how are we uh, as pedestrians how are we as drivers of how that is the first thing are we utilizing the roads correctly and the second thing is that if we truly come from that place of concern for our fellow citizens or even for just making the road safer for yourself and your family members that little bit of consciousness to see like we said in the beginning maybe 500 meters 1 kilometer of road around your own workplace or around your own home to be mindful are the traffic lights working properly here um are the, is this road actually accessible uh, are there how many potholes are there on the road just take uh, cognizance of all of these things and reach out to your local authorities to make it better and if you can as citizens contribute and ensure that you can uh, add to the accessibility features of that area if there's a bus stop there maybe be mindful is there a ramp if a low floor bus stops by or if there's a metro station there a lot of times you know metro is the metro rail is one of the most accessible most disabled friendly forms of public transport by comparison to other forms of public transport available but even there sometimes uh, there's that la- last mile accessibility issue of you know if uh, there is a if there is an elevator to access the metro station but that elevator itself is built on a raised platform so how will a person who is using a wheelchair get into that lift mm-hmm. so if we as civil society people can actually come together make some contributions um add some universal design and accessibility features to the place where we are living i think that is that is a grand contribution that you can make which may seem small uh constructing one ramp maybe a few thousand rupees uh maybe contributing to organizations that are working in this space contributing financially contributing your time just being a cognizant citizen and understanding that this is this is a very real issue which is impacting a lot of lives which can be saved otherwise which do not have to uh, you know end in tragic circumstances 
I think with that conscientiousness, we can uh, we can change a lot of the scenario right now. Uh, I think Rahagiri is a great example of that. Of course, we are doing it online now, but uh, when the roads are shut off to transport for two hours, three hours in the morning, it just, it's so wholesome. It changes the entire nature of public spaces. You see people on their bikes, you see people, uh, by bikes, I mean bicycles, you see people on their roller skates. You see people just, you know, coming out and enjoying and uh, owning back the public spaces. That's how it should be. We should not be afraid. We should not have to constantly be afraid of using public spaces. We should not have that constant fear of, uh, you know, every time I cross the road might be the last time. That's no way to live. Yeah, absolutely. I think you've brilliantly highlighted the role of individual responsibility in all of this. I think what we even hear, um, what we talk about more is the role of our higher-ups, the role of the bureaucracy and making these changes. We need to adjust our roads. But taking a citizen-first approach, um, especially after hearing it from you, seems so much more important. You know, you can really make individual change. Um, it's something I had studied when I was in college, which is the tragedy of the commons, which is uh, you just, you won't participate in making a difference because you feel like your individual contribution won't do anything to the bigger picture. So it's this idea that, you know, why not walk a uh, 500 meter distance, uh, like instead of getting in a car. And the idea is that it, people say, you know, but my not taking a 500 meter trip is not going to do anything to the environment. It's not going to do anything to help people, but that's the mindset that keeps us away. That's why an individual person. Nowadays, to be very honest, we all have bragging rights available to us at our fingertips with social media. Mm -hmm. So even if you do something and you feel like it won't make a difference to the bigger picture, maybe it won't, but maybe you touched one life. Mm -hmm. And that is a gratification that you get to live with for the rest of your life. That is a gratification that you get to share with your networks on social media all mm -hmm. the time. I mean, whatever, whatever drives you, but it's just knowing that impact to any one person's life other than yourself. That is a great gratification that genuinely adds years to your life. And you can really live to tell that story for the ages. Absolutely. I agree. Um, thank you so much for coming on. I think to anyone listening and to me as well, I, I, we would have all learned so much and it was really quite amazing listening to the success stories and credit to you for helping them and inspiring to all of us to hear. It's just, I'm in awe as to what, you know, anybody can achieve if you put your mind to it. And, um, yeah, it's been really, really lovely having you on here. Thank you so much. Thank you. Take care. Bye bye. 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 B